0: Hi everybody, welcome to our show. This is Kindness Beyond the Veil, where we'll look at supernatural topics like ghosts, the afterlife, psychic ability, UFOs, star seeds, and earth angels, magic and mysticism, but not with fear and holding everywhere. There's positive and even loving sides to these topics, and that's the light we'll shine on for this show. This is your host, Chip Reikenthal. I was kind of thrust into these curiosities in 1979 when my best friend through childhood came to me at the moment of his death, and I had to know why. Back then you couldn't talk about that stuff without getting a freak label, so I was pretty much on my own looking into these mysteries early on. Answers would lead to more questions and side realms like magic, stars and planets, energy and physics, and lately, starseeds and earth angels, but I found there's no good and evil in an animal kingdom. No good and evil in the plant kingdom. I've never had a negative encounter with ghosts or the dead. Now, almost 40 years into this, and there simply doesn't seem to be many looks into these fields without all the fear and loathing. Isn't there enough of that in life? Well, we're going to steer away from that. Look at the good and evil and these topics. Every week I get to highlight my heroes in these fields for you, introduce you to them, even if you knew all about them. There is kindness beyond the veil. I've seen a lot of it. There's answers to be found on the kinder side of things. And if there's light on the other side, we'll bring it into this side as well. And benevolence, empathy, compassion, the kinder side of science and phenomenon, the kindness beyond the veil. I'm your host, Chip Reichenthal. We're so glad you're joining us. Come on in. Welcome. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Oh, yes, we indeed welcome you with open arms to kindness beyond the veil. And we have the show of shows for you today, beloved listeners, because today of all the personal heroes and greatest minds in these fields that I get to share with you all, our honored guest today is my ultimate hero and all the people I have met and worked with in my 40 years of looking into these realms. I mean, here's a guy who is out there doing it all paranormal investigations on TV more than a decade before it became commonplace, researching psychic ability, psi and ESP back when people were laughing at the idea, introducing us to the vital field of parapsychology before it was a commonly known practice. When I was too chicken to talk openly about this stuff with my parents or friends for fear of being ostracized, he was out there on Dick Cavett and Oprah Winfrey and David Letterman and Larry King, educating a dazzled audience of viewers and me. And finally, about 10 years ago, when I was working in films out in Buffalo and Niagara Falls, playing a soulless mutant, <laughs> been filmed, one of the cast members came up to me to tell me that this man right here with us today was doing a lecture at a college in Buffalo. And I almost cried. I was that excited. And I saw that lecture, got to meet him afterwards. And that lecture still resonates with me. And that meeting was one of the most exciting times of my life. And he's been on other radio shows of mine that i have hosted but this is his first time on this one and it's again a proud moment because i get to share his insights with you all beloved listeners and it's a great day here our honored guest today is lloyd auerbach on the short list of being among the most heralded parapsychologists in the world if not the most heralded and lloyd's take on the things that we cover here all the time Ghosts and spirits, telepathy, telekinesis, mediumship, past lives, channeling, even psychic espionage will stun and surprise you. We generally say that there are few, if any, expert opinions on this material, but we generally don't have Lloyd Auerbach joining us. Lloyd has an MS in Parapsychology from John F. Kennedy University. He's also taught there. He's taught at the HCH Institute in Lafayette, California, does in-class and online courses. He's teaching, has taught at or sat on the boards of some of the most refined places of our realm, like the Rhine Research Center, Rhine Education Center, where he's teaching now, the Windbridge Research Center, and the Forever Family Foundation. He's currently president of the Forever Family Foundation, one of the most amazing nonprofit groups I have ever come across, where they screen and seek the very best in spirit mediums, then utilize them in helping people in deep grief cope with the loss of their loved ones. I mean, how beautiful is that, right? Lloyd is a professional mentalist and magician and a psychic entertainer. On top of all that, And Lloyd Auerbach makes the best chocolates I've ever had in my life. (laughs) I'm going to have to talk to Lloyd about those, man. Oh, man, they are good. And, you know, that guy on TV, on the commercials they called the most interesting man in the world, ain't got nothing on Lloyd Auerbach. So you sure picked a great day to join us, beloved listeners. So buckle up and get comfy. We are taking you on a joy ride today here. Now we remind you this here show, Kindness Beyond the Veil, runs on two networks. Just a brief rundown of all of that today. We are on the great WCETFM each and every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, where every Monday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, you can hear us at Late com. Plus, we're on the Paranormal Radio app via talk stream live. Then the show re-airs here Wednesdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern and then syndicates over to United Public Radio Network on the weekends, where you can hear us every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern at UPRN talkradio.com. And we also have a new special live broadcast there at UPRN. In addition to this one, we are on every Monday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, live on UPRNtalkradio.com as well. On top of that, I also co-host a radio show called Supernatural Realm with the great Tim Roxbury hosting. We are live on that twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, same as the Monday show here on the great WCETFM at latenightinthemidlands.com and on the Paranormal Radio at the Talk Stream Live. And then we also air on uprntalkradio.com for Supernatural Realm Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. So, Mondays live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on uprntalkradio.com. Mondays live from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on latenightinthemidlands.com. Supernatural Realm Tuesdays and Thursdays live from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on latenightinthemidlands.com. And the Paranormal app via talk Street Live. <laughs> then Saturdays on uprntalkradio.com. Kindness Beyond the Veil from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Supernatural Realm at 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And archives of this here show, best access at uprntalkradio.com and their archive section plus they post them to youtube so now you can search youtube for kindness beyond the veil for a treasure trove of archives today marks our 104th episode here so there you go and our facebook page for kindness beyond the veil uh, we would love for you to like us on Facebook for that. And the great Tim Roxbury of Supernatural Realm fame is our honored producer for this here show. So a big loving shout out to the great Tim Roxbury. <laughs> and we're moments away from bringing Lloyd Auerbach on for some brief thoughts. And for that, we take you back to the year 1400 to mark the death of a 22-year-old man who was crowned King of England at age 10 as King Richard II in 1377, ultimately he was deposed, Uh, he was really forced to renounce, if you will, Uh, and before his own cousin, Henry of Bolingbroke, who succeeded him then as King Henry IV. They say Richard II was deposed and allowed to live because of that deposed, until, that is, Richard's friends couldn't keep their mouths shut, boasting of their vengeful plans in his honor, which then made Richard's well-being a threat to the new King Henry IV. So 22-year-old Richard was imprisoned and starved to death at Pontefract Castle and died right around Valentine's Day of 1400, and 195 years later, in 1595, these words here from William Shakespeare what artfully expressed not only what we do to our kings, but how death sits at their court with them. For God's sake, let's sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they've deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping, killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court, and there the antic sits scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath, a little scene, to monarchize, be feared, and kill with looks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass impregnable, and humored thus comes at the last with a little pin, bores through his castle wall, and farewell king. Cover your heads, and mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence, throw away respect, tradition, form, and ceremonious duty. For you have but mistook me all this while. I live with bread like you, feel want, taste grief, need friends, subjected thus. How can you say to me, I am a king? Yeah, there's some ghosts mentioned there. (laughs) But the reason I selected this particular artifact today has more to do with how we treat our famous these days, those we build up as celebrities, movie stars, recording artists and the like, failing in a way to see them as like us on any equal footing and trading what we used to present as a mindful distance that now has devolved into breaking them down to levels exponentially worse than where we built them up. Second week in a row, I feel obligated to comment on the effect of too much information (laughs) available to us now. If you're not sure what I mean, just take a deep look into the eyes of a, a Britney Spears or a Kim Kardashian. Perhaps it's that element of mystique that's gone by the wayside, or the fact that any of us could hide behind some avatar now and redefine personal cruelty, that's part of it anyway, the other being that perhaps we really don't understand what it's like to lose one's right to a private life because of a job, or imagine what it must be like where every single thing they say is left for others to comment on or decide what is right or not worldwide, minute by minute. hard enough just being social as a nobody. <laughs> even then you never know from week to week what somebody will object to viscerally that they were fine with the week before, you know Just on my mind today because I'm sitting here with somebody I've idolized for most of my journey in these realms, who I would rather have valued time with than I would a favorite actor or recording artist. And the great thing about my job, is that I just talk to people that have done the important work, (laughs) they do all the work I talk, I get to be a sponge, with a cherished listenership in mind, of course, and nobody's tearing me down for that. I've had buddies of mine into paranormal and psychic realms in the last month or so, we've been talking about the state of our realms, and I'm not sure that we go out of our way to tear our heroes down in this realm. I get the honor of saluting mine, but perhaps we're too busy going after each other to attack our heroes, (laughs) so maybe it's not quite like that in our realm. I'd love to know what Lloyd thinks about that, he's been high profile for decades now. I do remember, perhaps correctly, that when the realm really started catching on, where it almost suddenly became okay to admit that you too were interested in ghosts and spirits, That the shows they were featuring then that brought this sudden shift about featured amateurs, Joe Everybody's, you know, plumbers or headbangers trying stuff out, learning on the spot. And suddenly there was none of these shows, none of them calling for an expert opinion. And I know I felt oddly affected by that. I would love to get Lloyd's take on that too, I, I mean, look, it's a nice, peaceful, happy world in Chip Spring, <laughs> even when life comes a-call, and uh, you know, I, I revel in the fact that I'm not famous, known, maybe, but not famous, works for me. <laughs> but there is something, beloved listeners, something absolutely beautiful about mystique And I wish there was a bit more of that and a lot less cruelty in our approach to famous people. Hey, you know, I've met a lot of famous people in my magical life. And to me, I would share with them the real magnificence of what their art has given my life, my special memories. Even with that said, I feel the same about my friends or the people in my life. My life is greatly enhanced by the magical people in it. And you reach a certain age when you know it's at very least half over (laughs) one's time on the earth, so you get to see things as though, over time, maybe the last time, and you really come to cherish them. And in a rather bitter world that is on the cusp now of the holiday season, Maybe we could all have that frame of mind. Treat your days as though they're among your last so you can see ever brightly the magic in people. Maybe we can all try that this year in a holiday season that this time around ends with the start of a whole new decade. That's magic, right? It is for me. And that becomes especially true right now because I get to introduce you all To my mentor, my ultimate hero for the entire tenure of my years looking into the magic of these realms, the decades, and to get his take on all the things that fascinate us. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm and magical welcome to the Lloyd Auerbach to Kindness Beyond the Veil. Hello, Lloyd. Welcome to Kindness Beyond the Veil. How are you today?
1: Doing fine, Chip. Thanks very much.
0: Ah, you know it's it's great to reunite with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just hope I can I can live up to your introduction here. Well, you
0: you have I mean to, look I, I mean there has really been no brighter spot in in all these years that I've been searching for answers, you know than you and and not only your works you know before I actually got to meet you, but meeting you and you know seeing you speak, um, you know hanging out. Uh, It's one of the greater joys in life, and uh, you've already uh, met that, Mark, you know. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I've always found over time, though, that your takes on things are uh, interesting, uh, dazzling, and sometimes different than I thought they would be, and and so I'm really glad that I get to uh, share your insights with our beloved listenership today. You know, I'm going to kind of break a rule here, because I never asked the old, uh, you know, how'd you get your start kind of question, but I want to rephrase it in terms like, you know, I got pulled into the realm of uh, paranormal and psychic and everything really that encompasses all that, because my best friend through childhood appeared to me at the moment of his death, and that was like in 1979, you couldn't talk about that stuff, I couldn't tell my parents, couldn't tell my friends, you know, a lot of people that I've seen in paranormal and parapsychology realms um, didn't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to go ghost hunting today, (laughs) it's usually more like ghosts chose them than they chose ghosts. Uh, When you first started looking into these realms, uh, and this was a while ago, of course, what propelled you uh, to do it?
1: Well, actually, it was not a psychic experience at all. Um, and I I started really looking into it seriously um, probably when I was about 12 or 13 years old. I had, had an interest in what I read about um, psychic phenomena or psychic abilities mm-hmm. uh, in comic books and science fiction <laughs> books and... Uh, I was a little science geek, as, as it happens <laughs> heavily into astronomy and geology, uh, oh. and, you know, f- physical science, but I, uh, sci-fi, comics, and also television. Uh, my dad worked for NBC, so I had a TV That's in right. my room when I was about two years old, and even as a little kid, I watched uh, unrestricted television, so I watched shows like That's The Twilight right. Zone and One Step mm-hmm. Beyond, um, and then a show called Topper, which is how I got my introduction to ghosts. Wow. Um, for those folks who don't know that show, because it's an old show, an there old was, show. There, yeah, there's a movie you can get on um, on YouTube for free called Topper with Cary Grant in it as one of the ghosts,
2: right.
1: and the show was based on that. And they're friendly ghosts. In fact, they're fun-loving ghosts. <laughs> so it, it uh, had a, I had a very different exposure to ghost stories early on than certainly horror films, although I watched a lot of monster movies and horror films as a kid also. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got propelled to the library when I was 12 or 13 because I heard the term parapsychology on a TV show called Dark Shadows.
0: No kidding. Dark I remember Dark Shadows, yeah. It was like a soap opera at that time.
1: It was a daily soap opera featuring a vampire and eventually how werewolf and parallel worlds and psychics and all sorts of stuff. Right. uh, and it's, uh, so I went to the library looking for books and I found books on parapsychology by pre- my predecessors, uh, J.B. Ryan and J.G. Pratt and Gertrude Schmeidler and a number of other researchers in the field of parapsychology and was fascinated that there was an actual science there. Mm. And that led me to talk to a couple of my teachers in, in the school, my junior, senior high school. And I ended up starting, uh, when I was in my kind of, uh, I think I was in 10th grade when we started the, cl- the club, we started a parapsychology club wow. with, this, with the help of the physics teacher and the earth science teacher. Oh, wow. So, so I, I, got lu- I got lucky. I got to meet some New York area parapsychologists, some well-known ones who became my colleagues later on, wow. and I, it just kept pushing me in that direction. Let's just say the universe made me uh, made a track for me. Yeah. Not a not a financial track, not a financial track, but a track, <laughs> but a track nonetheless.
0: Yeah, but you, you were really born to do it, you know. And it, it's nice yeah. to 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 kind of know inside that you know that you were really created for this. I'm jealous though because you know, uh, I mean, I I was uh, a geek here and there, you know, throughout my high school career. But we never had uh, any, you know, cool physics or. <laughs> instructors that you know would would talk about that sort of thing i mean you couldn't talk about it with anybody it was so frustrating when i had this experience and i couldn't tell anybody even my buddy's parents you know Mm. who it took me 10 years to finally be able to tell them they were in such deep grief and they were very traditional in their religion so they wouldn't have bought any of what i was uh coming to them with So it took over a decade before I could tell them, because he had been brain dead. You know, he was in the hospital, uh, kept alive through respirators, you know, until his parents had to do the impossible trip, going all the way across the country, in essence, to unplug him. And they didn't know, like I did, that they gave him the thing that he most wanted at that time. You know, it took 10 years to do that. That's still a, a kind of a sore Subject, with it. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I yeah. I had nobody, uh, but it, and and it added to the fascination when I would see you on television, on, on some of the daytime shows and nighttime mm-hmm. shows, and you were like had all this MacGyver like equipment. <laughs> well, having, you know, ghost uh, ghost hunting, and I think it was uh, I think I saw somewhere that the movie Ghostbusters. And 1984 really kind of helped your career along. Well, that's true.
1: Yeah, that's true. I was um, at that point. I was back on the faculty at JFK University, where I'd gotten my um, my master's degree a few years before. And I, in between, I had worked at the American Society for Psychical Research in New York City uh, as their media and public information consultant. Uh, so, I when I came back out to JFK, both to teach and also to do that same role. Um, again, this was the universe saying something because uh, what happened was I got a call from the Oakland Tribune. Uh, probably this was in August of '84. So the Ghostbusters was out; it was very popular. It was still in the theaters weeks later, mm-hmm. and the Oakland Trib wanted to do a story, even a, well in advance of Halloween, about the real-life Ghostbusters, knowing that there was a parapsychology program in their backyard. And unfortunately for everybody else in the faculty, fortunately for me, they were all at the Parapsychological Association Convention in Dallas, which I could not afford to go to. <laughs> so so the piece ended up being focused on me. And uh, <laughs> although I I had them talk to a couple of my colleagues in New York. And when it ran in early September, it was picked it was actually a two-page spread on the uh, lifestyle front page of the lifestyle section of the Oakland Trib. It was picked up. By um, the Associated Press So it ran in hundreds of newspapers Including one of the tabloids <laughs> In some form So it really, it led to my first book uh, it, g- it gave me the I guess you could say The the cachet to actually sell a book
2: Nice
0: Wow Yeah, I, I you know I was kind of uh, Relating to that movie Only because at the time I was on radio and in nightclubs, DJing, where we have to play that song over and over and over. Sure. <laughs> Who are yeah. you going to call? <laughs> Lloyd Auerbach. Well, you know, um, well, good, you, know, it, for you it, and Clive Davies both, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, the, the movie was very good um, in the sense that it really made fun of a topic in a way that was intelligent. I, and I think the movie holds up. I, it, you know, I saw. I went and saw the 35th anniversary release when they were showing it in some of the theaters, and it. And I've watched it many, many times over the years, and I'm looking forward to the to Ghostbusters three next year. Yeah, um,
2: right. just it is about that.
1: yeah. It's it really. You know, it was it. It led to the media asking a different question. Uh, t- typically, I was getting calls. All the all of my colleagues, we would get calls from people around Halloween. You know. You know, October. Can you take us to a house? Like the Amityville house where stuff is flying around. Oh,
2: good
0: Lord.
1: And, I oh. mean, seriously, they're asking us questions like that. My, <laughs> yeah. my response before Ghostbusters, my response was always, you know, do you think that we would be underfunded if we could take you to a house where stuff was flying around? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but wow. then when Ghost when Ghostbusters came out, the question was different. The question was, all right, we've seen Ghostbusters. What do you guys really do? Interesting. And, wow. that, and that's the question we wanted to be asked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very true, um, and you know, along those lines, uh, because look, you've—I mean, you're uh, president of Forever Family Foundation. Yeah. Wonderful, Bob and Fran Ginsburg. I—I love them. Please send them my love when you see them. And uh, I will, I will. Um, but because you've—you've you've worked up so close with <clears throat> both the paranormal and mediumship realms, if you will, uh, over the years. I mean, I'm thinking 1984. At least they used terms like ectoplasm in that movie. I haven't heard a term like that used outside of parapsychology, perhaps. And uh, well, probably, yeah, probably like 15 years. Nobody says ectoplasm anymore. It's That's even. actually
1: not true. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the ghost hunting community have decided that any smoky. Um, thing in the air in a photograph is ectoplasm. Even though nobody saw it, it that's not the definition of ectoplasm. Right. And, and of course, in Ghostbusters e- ectoplasm was slimy, whereas in the mediumship uh, where it may or may not have been real, it wasn't that slimy.
0: <laughs> yeah. How would, how would you define it?
1: Well, the original definition is uh, and the reason that term was coined mm-hmm. was to come up with a term that covered what spirits were made of.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And then uh, essentially, some of the physical mediums in the 19th century so started producing it, um, and we're not. And and really, nobody ever got a sample because in some of the cases where it might have been real, when somebody touched it, it just dissipated immediately. right? right, right. But in most of the cases, they could touch it because most of the time it was luminous cheesecloth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do, would you consider it the uh, s- uh, same, if not similar, to ether? Well, I mean, the ether
1: was, according to the 19th century physicists, was the substance of the universe, which propagated light, and it was kind of like, you know, it's what everything, what what space was made out of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we, we then learned that space was a vacuum. Of course, we now know space is a thing. Right. So... <laughs> so Um, It's hard to to use that term In any sort of scientific context
0: Especially considering how how far Physics has come and astrophysics And and things of that nature uh, In in this day and age And our our understanding of it is so different There was was one case I worked on once We did see a mist It was one of these overnight things We had left the premises but kept camera on And there was this mist That filled up this room It's the only time uh, and the only time since I've ever seen anything like that, I didn't really know how to define it, and I didn't know if it. I it, it, I, I, I wouldn't call because it. Nobody. I, yeah.
1: If, and it, it, the question is, did somebody see the mist actually there, or was it just on camera? Because, it was just on camera. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult to know um, whether or not that was really some something. spirit, something something affecting the camera, the spirit affecting the camera. Um, or whether there was actually something in the air, it certainly wouldn't have been something uh, that if it was infrared, it's entirely possible there was moisture or something else happened. You right. know, one, one, of the th- one of the things we do in my field is, um, well, first, we don't debunk cases unless we're talking about fake stuff. Right. We we go in and look for explanations, and mm-hmm. even in the best cases, I mean, even in the cases where I'm positive there's an apparition or some haunting phenomena or even poltergeist phenomena where there's physical stuff happening, we find elements or events that are reported by people that are that have an explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so we have to actually not only look at the overall case, we have to look at each individual event as it's happening or after the fact.
0: Yeah. No, you really do, you have to tick all the boxes and, and you know, I mean, uh, the paranormal investigations I've been called to because people are experiencing certain things, you have to leave whatever beliefs you have out the door, you know, you, you come in and you have to tick all the boxes and you have to right. have some skepticism in you so you don't rush to judgment or try to uh, relive some self-fulfilling prophecy of what you think is happening there. Because that has nothing to do with it. It's, you know, whatever ends right. up that you find is, is what it is. Um, do, do you, I, I have to ask because, you know, look, uh, we, we talk an awful lot about the, the TV shows of this day and age, a lot of them with, uh, you know, demon or devil in the title. Yeah. Uh, it's, there's a lot of, uh, the, the fear proponent, you know, is really milked and milked. But uh, beyond that, it doesn't really teach good uh, investigative form and procedure. No.
1: Well, I mean, that's because the TV producers are the ones who have dictated what should be on camera. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, the whole idea of even investigating in the dark doesn't make any sense <laughs> unle- unless the only time the phenomena is experienced by the by the witnesses is when it is pitch black. That's the only time it would ever make any sense to do that. Uh, right. the most of the time people have the lights on It's happening during the daytime mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen situations Where I'll watch on these TV shows Or even local, I hear from people about the local groups Who do an overnight in the dark When the people only had experiences At 2 o'clock in the afternoon
0: Right, right, yeah so and that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't make sense yeah.
1: no, no, it, re, it really uh, Plus the fact that human beings are And we have so much data From outside my field mm-hmm. As well as inside the field to support this people are terrible observers in the dark
0: oh yeah oh yeah absolutely they're also terrible observers when they feel emotional about it you know right. they're in right. this fight-or-flight response so the blood is drained out of their brains and into their limbs so they can defend themselves but can't think on their feet quite as well right. that's correct yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah and and it kind of so yeah that see that's what a good investigator does Ask, ask those questions like that, you know.
1: Well, and we, we, we look for, you know, there's this assumption that if a place was haunted, it's always haunted. Right. And that, that's actually not the case. Um, some mm-hmm. of the places they go to, uh, there might have been witnesses 50 years ago, because the stories are in the book, in the various books, but is there somebody who had an experience today? Uh, and what these ghosts, what a lot of the ghost hunter groups learn is if it's a, that if it looks spooky or it seems like it might have had a real hi- weird history or a terrible history, it must be haunted, and that is
0: actually not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. I was always uh, disconcerted, also, with uh, some other investigators. Not all of them, of course, but some who maybe don't realize that they're a little bit uh, intuitive more than they realize. And they mm-hmm. might walk through this pocket of energy uh, that let's say best case scenario uh, is the energy of the suffering of another you know yeah. uh, somewhere in the past well. and they automatically say, "Oh, I think there's something bad here you right know? and and there
1: there is in the same sense that if you watch a horror film, mm-hmm. you had you had a negative experience watching the horror film right. Uh, or if you watch a really bad movie, you had a bad experience watching <laughs> yeah. a really bad movie.
0: Been through a lot of those. Yeah.
1: yeah, so so it is the case that human beings seem to leave emotional impressions and other impressions behind. What ghost hunters like to call residual hauntings, we just call them hauntings or place memory. Mm-hmm. And some of that is historically verifiable, and that's the cool stuff. But it doesn't have any intelligence or consciousness to it. It's just a recording, and the emotional stuff um, is. You know, we experience it viscerally, because we, we're all a little bit psychic, mm-hmm. and we experience that stuff, and to interpret it immediately as there's a de- demon here, or something really evil, is is not only bad science, but it's just stupid.
0: It's, it's bad form, because yeah. it, it kind of eliminates any possibility of unconditional communication if there were... Some sort Somebody of communication there. to be had, yeah. Right, right. It, it, it kind of sets a tone that distances oneself from the interdimensional world, if you will. And, uh, yeah, and, and thank you for saying that, too. Um, I, just out of curiosity, uh, because one of my pet peeves, and I want to see if uh, if you feel the same way or if I, I'm taking on a ridiculous level. Because you'd be the one to tell me, yeah, okay. I like I like getting spanked when I need to get spanked. That's how we learn, right? Yeah. <clears throat> there are some places that make novelty of uh, certain people in history. That they have uh, places you can investigate where these people lived and right. maybe come in contact with the spirit of this person. They're usually notorious people, and, uh, whether rightfully so or not. But, you know, to me, it's almost cruel to the energy of that person and spirit to, you know, make novelty of the suffering that they in- endured in life and perhaps still have to kind of repeat a little bit with all this living energy there to make novelty of them. That well, always bothered me. Does that yeah, bother
1: you? Yeah, it does. It it really depends because in reality, we make you know we we have um, vilify people as being villains or evil or bad, and, and you know sometimes that's a lot of times that's actually deserved, and sometimes it's not deserved. Right. Uh, and the, when you talk about the energy they leave behind, you know it's a recording, and as a recording, it doesn't have any. Relationship necessarily any more than the TV shows that I put up on YouTube have a relationship to me, other than they're fun to watch. Right. So okay. they don't affect me. You know, people watching them and cursing at them if they don't like what I have to say um, doesn't affect me personally at all, uh, and it won't affect me if I, you know, when I when I join the spirit world, so to speak. Right. So it really is whether or not um, they feel, you know, in the in whatever the afterlife is, whether they feel like they are. You know they don't like what people are doing, <laughs> right. and and what we hear from mediums like the mediums, the certified mediums for the Forever Family Foundation is, mm-hmm. they don't care, they really don't care. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it, they care more about their family or the people that they were directly involved in mm-hmm. with uh, when they were alive, but they really don't care about that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it it seems as though a thousand little mini judgments are whittled into this one bottom line. They want those that survive them to be happy and healthy. Yeah,
1: most people do. I think there are some people who go on. Certainly, initially, um, Hmm. human beings are human beings, and sadly, bullies stay bullies for a little while. At least, you know, if they stick around here instead of moving to the other side, Um, people who are asses are still the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We don't change our. Apparently, we don't change our personality appreciably. Nobody (laughs) becomes. Nobody suddenly becomes uh, a demon or evil once they die. That just doesn't
0: happen. Well, something I, I think of as the Casey Anthony paradox and I, I bring her up even she's not she's still alive, of course, but she was just known as this uh, compulsive liar.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: if there were some medium perhaps having a communication with Casey Anthony uh, in spirit and the spirit was truthful, the family might recognize that not as an affirmation. <laughs> and say, no, nah, I don't think that's Casey. Casey would have lied about everything. Right, you know? right, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So, yeah, and sometimes it's for affirmation, you know. I mean, we just spent a couple of years racking our brains over the extent to which, and this is theoretical, uh, people in spirit, when you communicate with them, uh, especially uh, of the crossover variety, could lie. And if they lied to you, uh, to what extent of malice in that lie. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, white lies, like you don't look fat in that dress, you know, are generally lies that, that protect
2: <laughs> right. the
0: right. dignity or esteem of people, you know, but there are malicious lies that are insulting and uh, aimed for discomfort. Yeah, the-
1: we don't we don't you know at least the mediums i've spoken to over the, the years have not have, have really pretty much said that people when they die they're confronted with the with the things that they did in their lives i mean that's mm-hmm. as one of them put it that's hell <laughs> so if you've yeah, done right. a lot of, if you've done a lot of bad things to people you're going to be confronted with that and you're going to know what was wrong mm-hmm. and you're going to be in your own personal hell for Learned a while until you
0: experience yeah,
1: yeah until you can learn from that and so you know typically what comes through mediums sometimes are things that that do encourage discomfort because the people don't want to hear them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not because not because they're lies or not because they're malicious it's just like you need you need to hear this you know you need you need to get off
0: your ass and go get a job (laughs) right yeah that's a loving truth especially if it's it's correct you know or accurate and yeah like you said people don't want to hear the truth you know um but uh, it's, it seems that um, that's what I found too. The the level of malice in the uh, in the spirit world uh, throughout my experience has been uh, really minimal at best. You know, it's like yeah. everything is not evil and demonic. And and I think my concern with and I want to ask you your thought about uh, the topic of attachments. Because right? I mm-hmm. know people that are really big on negative attachments. And there are some people that claim to see attachments around other people. Sure. And so you have somebody that says, well, my life sucks. Uh, so, aha, it must be because I've got some demonic attachment or negative attachment. And my concern is that it takes the personal power away from the individual. Yep.
2: Yeah, right?
1: it does. And and what we what we see what, what people call attachments, and I, I've worked with people who deal with spirit releasement therapy through hypnosis. Oh. Okay. And also psychics who've been involved in this sort of thing. So let's say that you're a drug addict or an alcoholic and your life is not great because of those one of those Two things, and suddenly things seem to get a little bit worse, and you seem to be more interested in getting in drinking more or taking more drugs. And somebody tells you you have an attachment, a negative spirit attachment. Well, that spirit was somebody who probably had, was a drug addict or an alcoholic when they were alive, and they are mm-hmm. attracted to you because of the problems that you have. Have and yeah now, and, yeah. <laughs> and they're still and they're still an addictive personality when they're dead. Mm-hmm. So all they're doing is re-experiencing what you did, but now it's a codependent relationship. Yeah. So the very fact that they're there with you, whispering in your ear, drink more, take some more drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, that's negative, but only because you were negative to begin right. with.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good point.
1: Yeah, that and there's two, good. there's, you know, and there's a couple ways that people deal with it. One is through hypnosis uh, to deal with the spirit that way. The other is by recognizing that you need to take personal responsibility and clean up your act. And that also deals with the situation.
2: Yeah,
0: now it, it it creates this defense mechanism that you can you can blame because your life sucks. It's not right, because right. you're not taking the steps that you can take as a, as a person to make your life better. You know, to do the work, to, to right. set goals. You know, it's just you can sit there now. It's kind of like that whole law of attraction thing that they took this wonderful universal law and basically said. You just believe it's already happened, and there you go. You can sit there and fantasize that you're going to get a check for six hundred dollars, and lo and behold, there you go. That's and if you don't, and,
1: and if, right, and if you don't get it, you might think somebody cursed you, and then suddenly your behavior <laughs> changes because you believe there's a curse around you, right. and and you drive everybody away because
0: you think that somebody in your in your circle has cursed you. Right? Yeah. And you and, know, you know, I, I just see it a lot. You know, in social media, people. That are absolutely convinced that because they're they're one four ste- uh, one step forward two steps back or they're you know or they just keep getting hit with one lesson after another after another that it's some attachment or some negative entity yeah. that's making this happen. Now, you,
1: you have to. The one thing we le- we have learned in parapsychological work is that we have have more power. First of all, we living people have more power than the dead. Right, much much more power than any spirits at all. Provided mm-hmm. we recognize or accept that we do. Um, there's nothing a spirit can do to us if we just know that one truth, and that's that's pretty much it. You know, I get asked all the time by ghost hunters, "What do you do to prepare yourself to protect yourself when you walk into a place?" And I just usually tell them, "Well, I'm a Jedi. I don't have to worry about that unless I run <laughs> into a guy with a, a red lightsaber." Right. Um, right. I, I I do not. I mean firmly do not believe that there's anything that they can do and i've seen situations where people freak out when i've been there and yes you know there's a psychic with me who says yeah there's a spirit but these people are freaking out for no particular reason other than they're sensing the spirit and they're Mm going to cause some problems for themselves Mm
2: -hmm. yeah so uh, we have
1: we have to recognize that we're the powerful ones we also have to recognize that sometimes our thoughts our unconscious thoughts do get turned into actions Mm
2: -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's
1: through mind over matter psychokinesis
0: so mm-hmm. yeah it is speaking of mind over matter psychokinesis and, and i um the topic of poltergeists yeah it uh, comes up where more often than not at least in in the experiences uh of that i've had as an in, in an, of an investigative capacity right because we don't have poltergeists around here because i know i'm stronger than they are they're not going to bother themselves in my house you know well, but yeah. often it could be the living people, somebody, especially somebody right. maybe post-adolescent. So, so
1: so, this is a definitional issue. Okay. Um, and the way we define it in the... It's interesting, the way we define it... This is a cultural issue also. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., when there is a... What we label a poltergeist case is a situation in which there is physical activity but no signs whatsoever of an apparition or haunting activity. So. We label that re- recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. It's from the living. In the U.K., they have, they'll take, they use the term poltergeist for two things. One is the living agent stuff, and the other is an apparition or ghost who is actually doing physical things also. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., when an apparition does physical things, that is just simply the apparition using psychokinesis. So mm-hmm. we, we have separated these things out because we don't want confusion from the get-go it's either living agent PK or it's dead person PK,
0: not you know lumped together. So there are but, no but Even the dead person PK can extract some of this extra energy from the living to make these things happen. We, we don't think so. We
1: don't think that that's that's actually what's going on at all. Because we also don't see living people pulling energy from other people to to do PK. It's not it's not about that. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, and there's also apparitional activity that's physical that when no people are around you know mm-hmm. so it, it they're two separate things and we have to and the reason we do this is because the approach to helping the people or understanding what's going on comes from two different perspectives one is if it's a living person we have to deal with it like this and study it like this if it's a if it's an apparition or ghost we have to study it like this mm. so okay. we have to kind of approach these things differently so it's it's a difficult term because it has different cultural uh, baggage to it
0: very true. And, and
1: it's situational even under that
0: blanket. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I've
1: actually, I've actually had a couple of, of, of cases where there, where there clearly was an apparition. There was communicating with people and there was, there was physical activity caused by a living person in the household who was stressed out and freaked out by the fact that there was a ghost there. So hmm. the ghost caused the person to be so stressed out. The stress is what caused the psychokinetic activity, but the ghost, did, the ghost was not moving anything.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, uh, but the ah. ghost was blamed for everything. Of course, yeah. <laughs> it's just easier to blame the ghost,
2: you know. Yeah the, yeah, the psychic,
1: the psychic medium Annette Martin, who I worked with. Oh, was, Annette. We, Martin, we, yeah. yeah, Annette was laughing about that case because you know <laughs> the guy, the ghost apparently was telling, was trying to s- explain to her, "I had nothing to do with this. It wasn't me. They're, they're blaming <laughs> me." You know, so blaming for everything, she yeah. was cra- she was cracking up <laughs> and telling us about this. So. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. We blame well, them for everything. Any yeah, good medium will say, forget the dead, fear the living, you know? Well,
1: anyway. that's right. You know, that. that's the thing is people, you know, are you ever afraid when you go into cases? And other than the safety, you know, I don't go into a lot of rotten buildings because... Uh, number one, there are no witnesses, and number two, there's a sa- physical safety issue, and yeah, even an even an environmental issue. I mean, there could be black mold. There's there's some
0: other things. Oh, all sorts of things. Yeah, and yeah. I've gone into places like that. You know, they give you the surgical mask, but that doesn't really stop anything. And and my uh, biggest no. fear was like spiders and rats and things like I that. I have that. a
1: problem. Yeah, I have a problem with spiders too. Um, but I otherwise, I'm only afraid of living people because ghosts <laughs> don't carry, ghosts do not carry guns and knives.
0: Right, that's true too. <laughs> Yeah, very, very well said. Um, Yeah, I, I, uh, I, okay, Um, you mentioned apparitions, and I wanted to ask you uh, if you have a a specific take, or if there is some uh, going theory that you uh, buy into more than some of the other theories. And let's take an apparition uh, first. Because an apparition is something that a, a group of people can see if they're there when it happens and agree. It's not like a mutual hallucination. It's, it's, it's something that non-local that appears in our local space-time.
1: Well, actually, it technically is a hallucination if you define a hallucination as uh, a, sensory, a false sensory um, signal. That is incorporated in your perceptions, but this is unlike a hallucination caused by your unconscious when people see an apparition and they don't, you know, you could have an apparition present and out of 10 people, two people see the apparition, one person hears the apparition speaking, another person feels a presence and another person feels, smells the cologne or perfume and the rest of the people don't experience anything. Because what's happening is they're getting information from that consciousness that's there. And, and how they process that information could be visual, auditory, kinesthetic, could be a number of different ways. How so you're
0: you tying you're, in potentially neuro-linguistic programming into this?
1: No, it's not NLP. It's, it's directly, think of the signals being beamed directly into your head. But your receptors are visual or your receptors are auditory or a combination of those different things. Your okay. your perception experiences things. So, for example, I get asked all the time if I've ever seen a ghost. And the answer is no. I've never seen a ghost. But I have heard my name spoken by an apparition. I have been patted on the back and had my arms squeezed. I have smelled perfume and, in another case, cologne. Mm-hmm. So I've had. I have not had a visual experience, but I've had... Other sen- sensory analog experiences. It's not really. It's not really my senses. You're not seeing the ghost with your eyes. Right. That's very clear. Um, and it's it's non-local in the sense that, I mean, it's technically local. It's not local in the sense that the, the entity is not physical, like something you can touch. We're not sure what ghosts are actually made of, but it's constant. It's pure consciousness. And what people actually see is interesting because in some instances, well, first of all, people see clothing on the person which, you know, unless there's a, an ectoplasmic department store, I don't think that's happening. Um, it's a signal that is broadcast and to think of it as the signal or the image that that person, that dead person has of themselves. So most apparitions look healthier than they did when they died. Oh, when they, died sure. yeah. they have clothing that they can change. And that <laughs> is, wow. and then we've had, we've had cases on record where there are people in different parts of the room who all see the apparition facing them even though they're in different corners of the room looking towards the center.
0: Interesting.
1: Because they're getting the signal, they're getting the video
0: signal, Right. (laughs) basically. And the video signal shows them facing them. So it's kind of like tuning into a radio station. I mean, a lot of mediums describe their process thusly. It's it's like tuning into a radio station uh, as a metaphor, where you have to raise your vibrational energy and they have to reduce theirs. So in between, the two can meet. Or, or however you
1: want to phrase it. It's, it's, it's tele- purely telepathic. It's purely mind-to-mind. It's not necessarily language-based, um, which is why different mediums interpret different things or get different signals on this. Um, I, ha- I work with several people who, uh, in fact, we just had a case yesterday where they each, have, they each pick up spirit energy or spirits differently. But when you put it all together, you get a great, great picture of what's
0: going on. Right. Wow. And, and uh, it's very interesting that you phrase it that way because if it's a, it's a telepathic kind of communication oh, that takes yeah. locality or non-locality out of the mix.
1: Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, years ago I did my first investigation with a place called the Moss Beach Distillery restaurant just south of San Francisco. I did with a Japanese medium for Japanese TV. Wow. And at one, one point during the session, the, um, the shoot, she sat at a table um, and started talking to the empty chair across from her. She said the ghost was sitting down and having a conversation. And she's speaking Je- – the, the medium is speaking Japanese, you know, because we are shooting a Japanese TV show. But she's speaking Japanese. And I, I was prodded by one of the production people to, to ask her the question that, was, that I, was, I wanted to ask for the public, which was, Mrs. Gibo, does the ghost speak Japanese? And she played it straight and just looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and she said i'm only speaking out loud for the cameras wow. this is a mental communication it's beyond language and i've heard the same thing from medium after medium after medium over the years that their communication is mind to mind it has n- the only reason they're even saying anything is for the live for us the audience not because of them they don't need to say anything otherwise wow.
0: That's it. So, I mean, that just mind blowing. Speaking of mind blowing, there was something you brought up in that lecture that I mentioned in the introductory segment when I saw you. Uh, It was uh, somewhere near Buffalo or Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. But in that, you had the audience uh, try something, a mind exercise, when they closed their eyes and uh, pictured. So, uh, so so I can
1: I can do that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. if the audience people listening will close their eyes for a moment and get yeah. a picture of this picture of themselves, unless you're their, driving,
0: of course. unless <laughs> you're
1: driving, yeah, if you're driving, do not do
2: that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do it later. Yeah. um but but if you get a picture of yourself, just get a good picture of yourself in your head. And then when you open your eyes, just think back on that picture you had of yourself. And there's two things. Number one, I uh, think about the clothing you were wearing. What were you wearing? Uh, number two, did you see your the bottom of your legs and your feet? and what i found just and I've done this that kind of exercise for thousands of people at this point it's the majority of people when they picture themselves first of all they look better than they do
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: right now That's I, mean, how I
0: picture myself all
2: the time.
1: yeah I mean I, I have hair so you know um, <laughs> on top of my head uh, so there's that but but really we picture ourselves. Only to a certain point. Most people picture themselves to either right above or right below their knees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, a lot of apparitions are seen only to right above or right below their knees. They're not seen with And then there's a small percentage of people who actually see themselves all the way down to their feet. And of those people, when I've done this kind of the the ad hoc, the kind of the informal poll, um, I usually ask the question, how many of you buy a lot of shoes? And I find mm-hmm. that the ma- the majority of people actually buy a lot of shoes. <laughs> right.
0: so, th- so, the, so the bottoms of their feet are important to them. That's their, correct.
1: Yes, yeah. which makes so so. Think about this: when you die and you become a ghost, you can appear however you think of yourself.
0: So I will have hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll have a face that doesn't scare small children. You know. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> So there you go. It's I've I'll,
1: I'll, I'll have lost a little weight and I'll probably have <laughs> I might even have a six pack.
0: I don't know. I have to think about that. <laughs> hey, that's what I'm gonna think about now for the rest of time. You know. So, yeah. yeah, six pack for, um, All right, I, I'm gonna jump to kind of an unusual place, but uh, you know, we only have you for so long. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break in a few minutes so you know, you have some room to unwind. But um, I, here's a weird one. Um, out of all the things you cover, especially in the parapsychology realm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to what extent, if any, do you take into consideration hermetic principles or universal laws? You know, I, I, it's just for me personally, and I, I don't know if that, uh, that's uh, that, you personally too. Yeah. Uh, I see. If you want, if you want better answers, you know, if you think in terms of the universal laws rather than the, you know, the general principles or standard model or whatever, you know, sometimes it it at least excites better thought, you know, processes
1: yeah, I, I think that you know we've talked about that in my field occasionally. Um, most of us don't consider that when we're doing our studies because we're we're trying to do controlled studies in the laboratory, okay. or we're we're trying to do you know more human human type stuff when we're dealing with investigations. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So I think that comes for people looking at the evidence and then seeing how that fits with universal laws okay look, looking at people's experiences
0: so' it's, it's more about reflection and belief systems where the universe well, you know, is, if they fit at yeah all in my you know head. the the, rea- the reality
1: is that um, many of us have to consider cross-cultural beliefs especially mm-hmm. when we're doing investigations uh, I have a background in cultural anthropology looking at supernatural belief systems and we have to really look across cultures and there are some these in the experiences people have but the interpretations are often based on on cultural, or on cultural acts. things, yeah,
0: boy, that that boy that makes a great point, and and yeah, the, the universal laws and but if you're doing, you know, I was just talking with a friend of mine who's an anthropologist, and mm-hmm. uh, he was mentioning, and we talk a lot about anthropology, you know, if he does some things that are scoffed at by people that have been in the industry for a long time, anthropological industry, because there is uh, there is an essence of the eugenics principle that kind of uh, dumbs down uh, some, let's say, a a skeleton that is considered giant, Mm quote-unquote, that is more likely to be indigenous or of indigenous culture uh, than it would be, let's say, European. But there is a eugenics kind of uh, taste throughout the anthropological realm which kind of almost forbids... Uh, you know I- anything from what they might consider or think of as a lesser species to be a part of these results uh, i think that that
1: depends on the anthropologists i had really good in- good professors at northwestern and one of whom this is back during the time that eric von Doniken was doing all the ancient alien stuff okay and one of my professors basically said an archaeology professor basically said you know this is all based on the pre- on the assumption that our ancestors were stupid Right. Thank you for saying that, too. And he said,
0: (laughs) and they were not stupid. Yeah. No, I mean, they were really... That's always been a pet peeve of of mine, too, to think that the people before us were so feckless that they couldn't have possibly done anything with agriculture or tools (laughs) or been ahead of their time with uh, anything, you know, cosmology or anything it had to have been extraterrestrials that came down because we're too stupid to come up with stuff like that on our own. I mean, yeah, that's kind of insulting to the human race. It is
1: totally insulting, and it's completely wrong.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for saying that. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it makes sense why, you know, the, the way you would look at universal law uh, does, you know. And I love that you're bringing in, uh, you know, the cultural backgrounds and, and how it really meshes. I've seen so many more cases where... If people, like especially here in the States, <clears throat> that have, there is some sort of activity going on that doesn't really mesh with what people are generally thinking of. And um, if they took the time to do some Native American history, uh, for example, and some of the cultural beliefs that na- Native Americans had, or if curses were placed on that land In, say, the 1500s, you know, and in the midst of these uh, terrible wars or or people that were trying to take over the land uh, with, with, you know, without any niceties, (laughs) let's just put it that way, where things like that have stuck over time, you know, and I personally, I'm a kind of guy that says that thinks there is no curse without a belief in a curse. I could be wrong about that. But it's, it's really no different than <clears throat> you're being a Jedi and knowing that, you know, these things can't touch you because you've got the more strength as a living person, a living right, energy.
2: Right, you know? right, right. Um,
0: but I have seen that if people do th- an accurate history of the property, that's another one of my pet peeves. There's just not enough accurate history on a lot of these investigations. They don't take it seriously enough.
2: right. Right.
0: You know, but, but yeah, it, it is, I think, a, a, a little bit, it, it adds to things, the more you know about cultural history, in addition to just history, you know, opens up the possibilities of what you might uh, find on a particular um, expedition or investigation, if you will.
2: Right, right. Yeah.
0: Our guest is the great Lloyd Auerbach, <laughs> It's just really like a... a I, a hero of mine, you know, a real true hero of mine. Probably out of all the people that I've uh, worked with, or dealt with, or talked to throughout my forty years of looking into this, I I personally have never found anyone better. I'm so glad you're with us, Lloyd. We're gonna take a a bit of a break. Uh, okay. So I ask Thanks. you to hang in with us. Uh, keep in mind, uh, we won't hear the break, but our mics will be live. So <laughs> whatever you got to do during that break, you do. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay with us here. You're listening to Kindness Beyond the Veil. This is your host, Chip Reichenthal, our honored guest, Lloyd Auerbach. We will be back right after this break. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. Hi, everybody. This is Chip Reichenthal. I host the show Kindness Beyond the Veil. And very proud to announce, Kindness Beyond the Veil now has a special live broadcast right here on UPRN. Mondays from 1 to 3 p.m. Central where we'll show you there's aspects of the paranormal, extraterrestrial, and other realms where positive and even loving things can happen. We'll prove that to you now with a live show, Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m. Central, plus a new archive at 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central on Mondays. which just got better with two new episodes of Kindness Beyond the Veil with me, Chip Rikenthal, right here on United Public Radio Network, uprntalkradio.com. Join us all right we are back thank you for hanging in with that excellent commercial break we love our commercial breaks here <laughs> and thanks to our great producer uh tim roxbury the great tim roxbury uh appreciate that my friend uh yes welcome back to kindness beyond the dale here uh, our honored guest today lloyd Auerbach, and we are talking about parapsychology the realm of ghosts and spirits and uh, psychic ability and all sorts of things all right uh i wanted to ask you uh, this because this is just something that uh maybe maybe you have some personal input on mm-hmm. um there were a couple like i had a buddy of mine he lives in california uh, southern california uh Right around the area where the, the Manson, one, one of the Manson murders wow. happened. Uh, there was a, uh, It was noted that there was a parapsychologist, not you, but a parapsychologist remarking about the electromagnetic frequency spikes that were more prevalent there, or uh, <coughs> constant if you will, than any other place that he's seen. I don't know if that means anything. Um, does that mean anything to you? And and do you yeah, consider I, I the role of electromagnetic frequency in an, uh, paranormal situations or investigations as anything?
1: So, uh, I think I know the house you're talking about. And mm-hmm. the, the parapsychologist was likely Barry Taff, who's a good friend of mine. Yes. And, um, you know, we find spots that have intense geomagnetic activity. This is not a paranormal thing. Mm-hmm. This is a geophysical thing right and it seems that that those kinds of spots people react to them differently they uh, in do. Barry's, in Barry's case he's extremely sensitive to geomagnetic fields and he would not ever go back there to that house because he got sick every time wow. he has in there um, <sighs> other people have reacted in different ways and there's still i mean this is still how geomagnetism affects the human brain is still mm-hmm. uh, a relatively new thing. It's only been studied since the late 1970s. It but does
0: you were seem- studying part of that. Can I just ask, uh, since you're, we're, we're approaching that area, yeah, there is talk that uh, people who are um, under the influence, let's say, of uh, spikes in electromagnetic frequency might be, and you, you let me know if this is a thing or not. Uh, more prone to feel like, say, the hairs on the back of their neck creep up or feel like somebody's watching them, you know, because, not because of the environment, uh, well, yes, because of the environment, not because of paranormal situations, as much as the brain's reaction to geomagnetic or electromagnetic spikes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the geomagnetic field is a, is one part of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's a particular type of field. And there are other kinds of electromagnetic fields, including those created by power lines, mm-hmm. that af- affect us in different ways. And certainly, high static charge in the air, for example, will certainly raise the hairs in the back of your arm and back of your neck and make you feel weird. Low-frequency sound affects us. Uh, in ways, certain ways, um, both mm-hmm. making us feel uneasy, but also causing us to see things out of the corner of our eyes, potentially. Right. There are, are a number of both environmental and technological sources of these things that affect us in certain ways that make us come to conclusions or have experiences that we immediately label paranormal, even though they have nothing to do with the paranormal. hmm and because our my- our
0: minds are putting patterns in in places where there's no real patterns. That's well, related. it's it's not only that.
1: It's it's well. Let me give you a, an example. I had a case a number of years ago where the the family which is the family actually lived not far from where I'm living right now in Martinez, California. They had leased a house and they suddenly started experiencing weird stuff. They had things like um, would smell noxious odors, like sulfur sulfur type odors appearing in midair out of and floating around. They would uh, get the, the sense that there were some sort of energy in the air because the hairs in their, their arms and necks were standing up. They would see shadows, fleeting shadows of the corner of their eyes. There was a room in the house where everybody felt dizzy and nauseous, where mm-hmm. uh, we'd get headaches, have different experiences. They would occasionally see bursts of flame in midair and wow. against the walls. So there were all these different things, and they... You know, for one thing, they contacted a few major universities here in the Bay Area, were funneled to the psych departments and told to to come in for evaluation, even though all four of the members of the family were having the experience, which should have been the first indicator <laughs> to anybody on the phone that they, this was not a psychological issue. Mm. They finally got to me because of the Martinez Police Department, who knew of me. And when we went out there, uh, my folks who went out, with, out there, I was very fortunate to have one of my students whose, husbands, uh, whose husband actually was a civil engineer. Yeah. And we found things like the house was slightly off its foundation in one spot, which happened to be right underneath that room where mm. people felt dizzy. There was uh, some optical issues going on because the room was not quite level and none of the doors and windows were 90 degrees. And we think of it as a, a brain fart <laughs> that was causing okay. the, um, the, we smelled the noxious odor. It turned out the house was on the other side of the hill from a landfill, oh. the Martinez landfill. And this was methane gas seeping up through the ground. Oh. And the house was also directly under power lines and was built oh. of some materials that cause high static charge in the air. Oh. Thanks to the power lines, so that the methane was sometimes catching on fire, and then the um, oh. there was there was low frequency sound coming off the power lines that caused them to see things out of the corner of their eyes. In other words, nothing paranormal, but um, definitely not place not a place they should be living. Right. Uh, we actually we actually helped them get out of their lease um wow yeah because
0: that's that's a health uh, that's a health oh
1: completely completely and you know they they called the landlord and said our house is haunted he said it's not haunted i only built it like a year or so ago Mm. it can't be haunted um and so they didn't have the right language because they didn't have the experience Mm. of of even looking for these other things they never thought to look on the other side of the hill they didn't even think about the landfill right yeah, uh, causing that that stuff. So, but
0: it's 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 also very much food for thought for people that want to do effective investigations, especially
1: Absol- in that, like paranormal. Ab- absolutely, we have to. You know, w- the only reason we even started using EMF detectors, the only reason was not it was not to detect ghosts. It was to look for correlations to see if there were changes in the electromagnetic fields <laughs> in the environment in the home. When people had experiences and when they did not.
0: Yeah, because it, it would explain some of these experiences based on that story that you just uh, told. It, about this it would it, it
1: would except that the other side of that is that we sometimes not just me but many of my colleagues have detected depending on the devices we have, mm-hmm. we have detected unusual electromagnetic fields that have no source we can determine.
0: Right. Yeah. I've and, seen I've seen that before. And and yeah. Uh, And And that makes you think a little bit harder about what's going on.
1: There's something else going on. Um, Mm -hmm. There may be correlations to that that recording, that place memory that's there. Uh, We don't find that apparitions give off electromagnetism. They're not made of electromagnetism. But they seem to be able to to move through the electromagnetic environment and cause a a wake. Like Mm -hmm. a person walking through the water causes a wake Mm -hmm. in the water. So we do see changes. And then there's the whole issue of the geomagnetic field, which can cause people to have experiences that may or may not be legitimately paranormal. There's controversial evidence within our field that high geomagnetic fields or changes in geomagnetic fields cause people to be psychic in certain ways mm-hmm, as
0: mm-hmm. the changes happen. Interesting. Yeah, and always a good thing to bring up because again, you really have to check the boxes when you go to these places to look about right. the environment and the you know, the the, the energy about. Because it might have a, a, a perfectly normal, if normal is the right word to use, alternative well, yeah. <laughs>
1: explanation for well, alternative. I think alternative is the best word. Because <laughs> okay. I, just, this, yeah. I don't. I don't know how normal that house was. <laughs> right. Right. Well,
0: normal is a thing I always found myself allergic to. Anyway, you know. Yeah. But uh, but still, I I mean, it's good for investigative procedure to to yeah. take and- these things.
1: And honestly, I'm a little allergic, if you're going to use that term, I'm a little allergic to the term paranormal because there's nothing <laughs> paranormal about these experiences. People mm. have them, have had them for thousands of years. We have thousands right. and thousands and thousands of experiences on record at organizations like the Society for Psychical Research and the Rhine Research Center. How 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 are they not normal by the numbers? I mean, by the numbers, they're very normal. They may be rare in your life experience, but they're not Paranormal—they're not on the side of normal. They're part of the normal range of experience.
0: Boy, that—that's an excellent point. Okay, I've got two questions in regard to pretty much what we're talking about. The—the first—I'm going to lump them together because I'm at that age where I forget things, you know. So, um, one is—we uh, were talking recently about what they call light pollution. Um, everybody mm-hmm. has cell phones, and there is such. Uh, microwave and electromagnetic uh, spikes with uh, cell phones and indoor lighting and all these things that we're using now that would explain why it's really hard to see the night sky now right especially in big cities and if that kind of what I'll just uh, call it light pollution because it's light waves you know that it really affects the electromagnetic or geomagnetic energy around with this light pollution would that uh, hamper uh, our ability to do better investigations? Uh, The second thing is infrasound, before I forget. There was this case, I think, on on this Russian mountain (coughs) where... um, people like geologists or something, they went to this place. The local community, uh, tribal community, thought there was a curse on this land, and and they ended up, I think, running from something, and some, some of them killed each other, and some of them killed themselves, and some of them died in really weird, unusual ways. And one of the explanations they came up with was infrasound. There was something about... The sound that is underneath our frequency, our ability to hear it, but it still had a physiological effect on these people. And it really kind of amped up their minds into overdrive where things could have happened. And that, like you mentioned, in the uh, in that property where there was the methane and the electromagnetic spikes and everything that was harmful to the family, <clears throat> infrasound is something we really. Think of so light pollution and interest sound on, okay. the, and how they might affect a setting, a normal setting. Well, <laughs> first of
1: all, I think you're talking about the latloff Pass in, mm-hmm. in Russia, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: which I read about about because of because I was involved in being interviewed for a show for the Unexplained that William Shatner does on the History oh, Channel. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there, I, I read about it. There were all sorts of explanations, including the potential that some of those people were killed by, native, by the locals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hard. You know, this is this the 1950s. Right. We don't, we don't have any really good idea of what actually happened. Yeah, so, yeah so it could have been that there was a, a, an influence because low-frequency sound, as a, which is infrasound. Infrasound is low-frequency sound. Mm-hmm. It affects us. Our bodies are mostly water. So you've all experienced, everybody's experienced this. They're driving along and they're stopped at a stop at a light and somebody pulls up next to you and their car radio is turned way up. Their stereo is turned way up and the bass is shaking (laughs) their car, (laughs) your car, you and everything else. Mm -hmm. Bass bass is lower frequency sound. We can hear it, but there's actually lower frequency than that that we Mm -hmm. cannot hear audibly. Right. And it does affect us. It can make us go—I won't say go crazy, because there's really not a lot of evidence to that—but it can certainly make you ang- anxious, agitated, and ex- mm-hmm. agitated, and you start seeing things out of the corner of your eye. If it's if it's um, 17 or 18 hertz, uh, our eyeballs start vibrating. We start seeing stuff out of the corners of our eyes. There's there's all sorts of elements to that, and that could have very well been involved in that situation. And we do look at low-frequency sound as, uh, in some instances, as being. Uh, a potential, uh, element of some of the investigations we do. Not always, it's, it's not always the main thing. Certainly it's, it's rarely ever that as far as the light pollution, you know, well, first of all, light doesn't cause electromagnetic anything. A light is electromagnetism. Right. It's a form a form of electromagnetism. So is radio, radio waves, <laughs> microwaves are all on the spectrum.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but, but using that analogy, uh, Tony Cornell, one of my late colleagues who, was a phenomenal researcher and investigator for over 50 years. Um, and uh, in, it, this is in the UK. Uh, and I, we had a little conversation at one point about this topic. <clears throat> because with more and more of our time being sucked in by screens, <coughs> uh, we don't notice... We may not, we may completely miss the psychic experiences that we have, or mm-hmm. that there is anything around us. In fact, I'd, I'd say the Generation Z, the current generation, uh, not even somewhat millennials, but Generation Z, often is so sucked into their screens mm-hmm. that you know you can yell at them and they don't hear you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, you have to text them to get their attention. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so unless ghosts, ghosts are learning to text people, they're not going to really have a pro. They're not going to be able to communicate with these folks. Right.
0: So it, it, it's uh, so the, this uh, I'll just say light pollution because it's way yeah. block electromagnetic. Yeah. So it may uh, have that selective attention effect, if nothing else, but yeah. also uh, has some impact on us. Yeah and
1: it, we're we're, not, we're still not fully aware of the impact of <laughs> electromagnetic fields on yeah. us. I mean it's still controversial mm-hmm. uh, as to whether or not power lines people living in, in under power lines get more cancer than other people. Right. There's con- there's controversial evidence about using your cell phone constantly pressed up against your head whether that could cause brain cancer mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's all very controversial and it may it probably depends on your genetic makeup you know if you're True. If you're genetically predisposed To having brain cancer Then that might trigger it But if you're not You won't So yeah. There's still A lot of questions Around how electromagnetic fields Affect us And, and right now As there, folks are talking About going to 5G There's a lot of controversy About whether or not This is going to be A good thing or a bad thing For us
2: Right Yeah
0: Right I know I just uh, I, I Margo my, my daughter went away For a year Right I mean Sent her to a nice school Out west Near you Actually She came home she's her best friend for the first time in a year. And the first thing they do is they go up to her room and they go on Facebook together. Right. Because it's just not about the face to face anymore. <laughs> well, you
1: know, there are people who text each other from across a table or sitting down, you know, sitting yeah. next to each other. Right. And that's, that is a way of having a private conversation that nobody can overhear. <laughs> I, I mean, suppose. there's no question about, there's no question about that. That's a version of the, you know, the cone of silence.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: mm-hmm. But, it it doesn't help socialization other ways.
0: Yeah, no, it really, really, really doesn't. And, you know, and that that is kind of, it's a cultural thing, too, I guess. Although it affects all cultures differently. I think all cultures are yeah. in the process of using all this stuff now. But it just seems, I mean, oh, we were talking to some folks who um, uh, were talking about the Milky Way. You know, there are some, if you watch the... The, how the universe works, or some of those other uh, shows on the like the Science Channel, they had this nice picture of the Milky Way, which seems from somewhere in New Zealand or Australia, <clears throat> you could see that beautiful ribbon, in its entirety. And uh, people say, you know, right. we could see that sort of thing uh, before we had all this light pollution. You know, I mean, I could see a, a much brighter sky and many more stars than I can see now. And and so, it it makes you wonder how this may impact, you know, just everyday life, let alone uh, uh, a – and I'll use the word paranormal just for the sake of this discussion, uh, honoring what you said about, you know, there's really no such thing – but under those terms, if, if it may have some sort of impact on how our investigations go. I guess it's fair to ask a question. Some paranormal teams, if they go to a property to investigate, they shut off all the electricity. Uh, That way they could pick up anomalies and electromagnetic environments. Yeah,
1: I think that's a fair thing to do. Um, You know, if you are measuring. Uh, what I would do is walk around and see if I'm getting electromagnetic fields in the EMF (laughs) meters and then seeing, you know, over once you learn how to use those devices, first of all, you have to learn what they actually do and what they measure. (laughs) Um, You have to read the instructions, which I, frankly, I I know, I've seen even on TV where they're using devices where they shouldn't be just waving them around in the air because they're actually creating a a change in the field by doing that. (laughs) And that's, you know, and then they get all excited because they have something reading some some reading that's happening. They've actually created the reading themselves. And then <laughs> there are, there are things like the K two meter, which is so sensitive and so wildly bad to use that you have it anywhere, uh, you not only need to turn off all the electricity, you need to make sure that none of your other devices are on at all.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, true. So yeah, it's it, so, the old you get what you pay for.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah so so you really need to Um, understand that um, there is a possibility that uh, you can learn what causes the device to go off. I mean, I, I have found more bad wiring in homes... Than mm-hmm. or buildings than I have actually found any relationship to anything psychic or paranormal. And and, and in some respects, that's a positive thing because they have been able to tell people, hey, you got really bad wiring. Right. You call an <laughs> Yeah, that is a
0: good thing. No, answers are a good thing when people want interest from you. you well, know? and
1: that, that may have nothing to do with the case whatsoever. It's just that I'm, I feel like I'm doing a service by telling them, maybe I'm telling them the wrong thing. They don't want to hear <laughs> yeah, that. It's still but.
0: something worthy of remark, though. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, yeah. Have you seen, and this probably calls for speculation, Any correlation between water and uh, reported hauntings? And I don't like to use that word, you know, but uh, just for the sake of this conversation, because we're talking about electromagnetic spikes or light pollution, Um, water. Do you have you found it? Does it make any difference at all? Is there any kind of correlation?
1: Not that I've seen. There's some. There's folklore about that, but I've I've Hmm. not seen anything like that.
0: Well, that's why I ask you. All right, this one here, you can help me uh, because my wife and I have an argument over this particular paradox, and I'd, I'd love to know your your take on this. <clears throat> Sometimes we use uh, dowsing rods. That's one thing. If for investigations, we can. I I tend to believe we can train our dowsing rods or ourselves to react to certain things and not others. I guess my well, real question though with a flashlight session, if you have some sort of communication where the flashlight turns on and off, would that be probably, at least in likelihood, more uh, psychokinetic kind of thing that you don't realize you have, or could that be something communicating
1: with you? Well, f- first of all, dowsing rods—you don't train dowsing rods; you train yourself because the dowsing rods don't in themselves have any sort of anything. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter what they're made of. That's that's happening because of idiomotor response. Mm-hmm. Your unconscious is moving them, and hopefully, your unconscious is tuned in. That's mm-hmm. what you you're hoping for. Yeah. Um, as far as um, the the flashlight thing, I have seen flashlight sessions on TV where it's totally random, but people make what they're asking fit what what they're getting right and it, it, so there's that element you have to consider the other element which is which you raise which is really important and this also pertains to evp is that it's very possible that the effects that are happening whether it is a flashlight session uh ghost box uh any electronic device uh, recording device that it's you or someone else in the room who's alive who's unconscious is influencing the device not a spirit
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the likelihood of that is is much, much higher. Well, it, it is in, in some
1: respects because we have lots of data that shows that human beings, living people, can affect things electronically. Uh, we have very little evidence that, that ghosts can do that.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> very well put. <laughs> so, you know, it's like
1: we we can't get a ghost to like sit down for an experimental session. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. Although I've seen people try it. They have three different colored flashlights, you know. Activate yeah. the blue one for yes. Activate the green one for maybe. Activate the red one for no. It's like what are you giving them a multiple choice test? You know,
2: right, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: because you know, hope they weren't teachers in spirit. You know, they'd see it as some sort of uh, revenge. I guess because uh, yeah, that's a little, you know, that's a little over the top. But uh,
1: well, there's how a lot. About- there's a lot of presumption in ghost hunting. In what I see in ghost hunting, they, you know, it's like dance monkey dance. Um,
2: <laughs> Yeah, that, it's, right.
1: d- it's making demands of them, uh, you know, just putting in situations like what we have learned, uh, myself and the people that I, uh, I associate with, uh, my colleagues who have actually done investigation for years. And I learned this from other people. I did not. This is not something I came to. I learned this from my mentors, from people like Carlos Osis and Alex Tanis at the ASPR and from Scott Rogo, the late Scott Rogo and a number of other people. That if you approach the case, number one, you're going in to try to figure out what's psychic or paranormal, period. Try to figure out what's happening. You're playing detective in many respects. You're gathering data. Um, You're you're also trying to help the family or work with the family to help them through their experiences. Right,
0: because it's a traumatic one. You're doing all that.
1: But when you have the sense that there might be somebody there, like an apparition there, you're not relating to them in any way other than the way you relate to people. In other words, you're being friendly, open. You want them to like you.
0: Right. Yeah, you it's want, an unconventional thing. If you think, of it, maybe if they're like uh, some time warp or something, they're actually alive from 1820 or whatever. Right. Uh, not that that's the case, but thinking that you're trespassing on their property from their visage. You know? Yeah. So you want to be you're, as pliable as...
1: Yeah, art. and and... People like you know people like to have a little fun, so we might be a little bit irreverent. We might be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not mm-hmm. as far gone as as Peter Venkman and Ghostbusters, but <laughs> the Bill Murray character. But you know, we, we, it's lighthearted and really, it's it's about recognizing that they are still people, even though they're so dead people. people without a yeah, body. thank yeah. you,
0: thank you for saying that. Okay, here's a, here's a, on on that note because I know you worked with a lot of mediums. I mean, you know, the Forever Family Foundation aside. I mean, on investigations, you can bring mediums with you. That they can give you the gist of who might be there and the thought process of that spirit, or person in spirit, and whatever. But in, in your experience, and you've had a lot of it, uh, have there been occasions where you really feel that you are having genuine communication with uh, an interdimensional uh, being or a non-human well, intelligence or or a person in spirit. Well, definitely person in spirit.
1: I, I have yet to see any circumstance where we're sure we're we're even going in the direction of something um some other kind of non-human entity at all. We haven't seen that at all. Mm-hmm. Um it, but in terms of uh you know, we get often well I can't say often, but we we do sometimes get very specific what would be considered evidence um, factual information that the medium could not possibly have known right, about right. that person. We I mean, we get stuff quite often and sometimes it's not the medium. Sometimes it's the, it's the witness. I, mean, mm-hmm. I love working pref- I might prefer to work with a witness who is having the communication or an experience if I can get them past their fear because there's they're already communicating with that or having an experience with that entity mm-hmm. that apparition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the medium actually then confirms their experiences which mm-hmm. is A good thing for them, and it's a good thing for us. Uh, But I I don't assume when I go into cases, if no one is having a ghostly experience, we don't assume that a medium is going to communicate with anybody.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's it's not uh, just because you want this to happen, it's going to happen type of thing. And and again, you have to keep a very open mind. But I mean, in a purely paranormal perspective... Whether it was some sort of uh, equipment response or or
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, something where you felt that you were actually communicating with a a, a person in spirit, rather oh, yeah. than having a medium do it. Oh you well,
1: know? me personally, I, I yeah. just from my own experiences, I wouldn't say communication, but um, uh, having uh, hearing somebody say a female voice say "Hi, Lloyd"
2: <laughs> was. <laughs> right?
1: Was pretty was pretty impressive, especially since uh, since the psychic medium who I was with at the time only heard that there was something said and kind of perked up. And we were recording at the time. There was nothing on the recorder. So either I imagined it or she was saying hi.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think you're imagining it. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, I mean, there are times and I've, I've had both approaches throughout my life. You know, I'm a little kind of uh, distance from the mediumship. Now, but there was a point where I was kind of tuned in more, and right. uh, well, but also I, as a paranormalist, I felt, like you said, it was irreverent. We were joking around; there were laughter, there were there was crying, there was some, you know, we even got led to somebody's hip bone once. Uh, this yeah, woman I, near the underground I, railroads; she was a slave. And-
1: yeah, I think it's important to 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 be respectful um, to be friendly and open. Uh, you know, I, have run into ghost hunting groups who really get freaked out because they get an EVP that says, get out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've seen on TV where they get this get out message mm-hmm. and suddenly it's a demon because some yeah, voice, right. it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You went into somebody's house. You started yelling for the spirit to dance <laughs> right. pretty much, you know, show yourself, <laughs> do this, do that. And, mm-hmm. the, and the spirit says, get out. Mm-hmm. Um I think the demons were you <laughs> not the ghosts <laughs>
2: yeah right you were yeah, acting like,
0: yeah you were acting like demonically. You said, they you are trespassing in and in, in their visage in their time you know and so you know you're being rude you're being rude
1: you're being rude so uh, you know it's it just gets cr- it gets a little I crazy I, I can't watch most of those shows I mean frankly I either get bored
0: <laughs> uh, or significantly annoyed. Not significantly annoyed. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the thing, and uh, you know, uh, probably mention it too often, but uh, another a version that I have or pet peeve was taunting, you know, Yeah. I, I don't think that there's any, but pe- look, I can understand if there is a production crew that has a very tight schedule and is trying to get something for the camera you know, for the sake of the studio audience or just, which
1: is the the case. Um, but you know, too many people who watch those shows, they've seen a show where somebody's taunting and they get supposedly get something, which is frankly questionable. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so they'll go out and do this. They'll mimic what they see on TV, and this is the problem: right. is He's that, for, that for some for some reason, all these ghosts not everybody. There's a number, a percentage of ghost hunters and groups out there who follow what they see on TV as the complete methodology or complete method of doing an investigation. Mm-hmm. And beside and beside the fact that this is all controlled by by television people, it's edited by TV produce, production people, not by the the investigators themselves. So even if they were legit and were understood how to do these investigations properly, it still wouldn't show up that way on camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been edited badly uh, on a few occasions, usually not because I can Mm. spot it before I even get involved in this show. But, you know, this is one thing. And secondly, and this is something that a lot of the the folks from the TV shows have admitted. I've heard the guys from Ghost Hunters say, you know, we shot 40 hours and 22 minutes shows up on camera, uh, on TV. So, you know, you're not seeing them the producers telling me, "Hey, can you walk down the hall again and act <laughs> scared like you just did a moment ago, but, right. but act but act more scared." <laughs> and I've had I've, been, I've had producers uh, production people when I've been in the field doing some of these pieces over the years, even back in the 80s, say, "Hey, look, can you say that again shorter, but come into the room and act surprised." And right. usually I won't do that unless it's it's like not it's not going to create a problem. <laughs> I have yeah. to pay attention. No, to that. I, I I
0: see that. I'm I'm sorry that you know I, I can imagine that you've been through it several times. But uh, I've had people that had their one shot to tell their story for the TV show, whatever. The yeah, show is. I I, I, I'm not I did call it. them out and, and I, say, oh, but here you're running for your life, and they say, well, that's not what happened, though. We,
2: right, we right. never
0: felt scared, That you you want your story on or not? You know yeah you know, I mean
1: it's, it's it's possible that if they're in a, in, a, in a darkened place and you mentioned spiders and other things <laughs> and some and somebody you know has a has a rat or a spider crawling across their leg and they freak out and they run out but now it ends up on the TV show that they had a ghostly experience and the ghost chased them out
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. so I mean one is an understandable reaction the other is a misinterpretation or a, it misinterpretation. Is a misinterpretation
0: Well, it's just I mean really the purpose for this particular radio show this Kindness beyond the veil. Is because there is a love-based side to everything. just like there's a fear-based side to everything. Right. But in this particular industry, you know, fear is everything, you know. Right. So, and, right. and, but that hasn't been my personal experience, you know, through 40 not, years. I've never had a negative encounter.
1: Nope. I've only had negative encounters with living people. I have not had negative <laughs> <Right>. encounters <laughs> with dead people. Yeah,
2: those I, I, I people, will say-
1: yeah, I, I mean, I've been in places that were inc- incredibly uncomfortable because mm-hmm. of that imprint, the emotional imprint from sure. the past. Yeah. Something bad had happened there. Yeah. Um, Alcatraz is not comfortable <laughs> when you walk no. around there, no. but no. there's not a, there's not ghosts there. I mean, right. everybody was trying to escape from Alcatraz. Why would they still be there?
0: Yeah, true. They, that's an excellent point. You know, yeah. Now, whether uh, alive or dead, you know, yeah. as above, so below. You'd want to get the hell out of there. Yeah, Yeah. I've had some, you know, you walk through these old mental institutions or uh, Mm -hmm. places that were set up for something um, like epilepsy, which was actually a pretty noble thing, you know. They have this one guy in the community that owned newspapers that built this, uh, this place for people with epilepsy in the early 1900s or late 1890s because... Nobody nobody knew if it was contagious or not back then. Right, they didn't know right. what caused it. They didn't know if because my brother has it, I'm going to catch it, you know. So they created this place where people with epilepsy could go and be treated like normal, everyday people. And because they all had it, they could, you know, A, get support from a group system, and B, you know, maybe get answers. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the neighboring state hears about it and they want all their epileptics to go to this place and then another state hears about it, wants everybody that the epilepsy in that state to go and before they even open the doors, the place is already overcrowded and understaffed and you just wait for that Stanford experiment you know, the science of evil to take over this place and then they call on their legally insane or criminally insane and, and uh, uh, mentally uh, well you can uh, uh, undeveloped, uh, you know, mentally undeveloped or intellectually undeveloped. I don't want to use any un- not politically correct terms here, but you know, and all of a sudden, bam! And you walk through a place like that, and the energy is just horrid. Yeah, <coughs> human but, being. You know, if you go to a house,
1: if you're, if people who do house hunting, when you go house hunting, mm-hmm. um, people feel. Like, this just feels like a really nice place to live Or this feels mm-hmm. really bad mm-hmm. People get vibes mm-hmm. And the vibes are often re- relative to the people who used to live there Or who are still living there mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard sometimes for realtors to sell a house Where the family, the couple has having knockdown, drag-out screaming matches Right even though there's no indication in the staged house that this is what was going on, you kind of feel like this is not a, f- a
0: friendly place. No, and you don't need ghosts in there for, for that kind of thing to repeat itself. Right. My, my wife and I looked at apartments when we first got married, and, and there was this one place, the first place they showed us, we walked in, and both of us got a real bad feeling like right away. And I, and you know, our bad feeling is, oh, not, oh, there's something evil here. But, you know, you just get that. It's almost like that staticky feeling. And we took the place where there was a peaceful, easy feeling. We ended up living there for 11 years. That place we had a bad feeling about, the people that did take that place, there was the father stabbed his daughter within eight months of living there. Because that energy, and I, that yeah, it doesn't mean it, a ghost made them do that either. It no,,
1: was, no, it's 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 kind of like uh, to me, it's it's well, even the places with high geomagnetic fields can be like it's like a in the back of your mind, um there is a buzzing that is similar to if you know most people react when people scratch their nails on a blackboard <laughs> and yep. they cringe, they cringe. And so there's some cringeful stuff that's in the in the environment that is affecting you to put you on edge and unfortunately when that happens you know negative things can go on whether it's divorce we've had places uh, that had repeated divorces and it was all because it was a high geomagnetic field there that was a no, you know unconsciously pushing p- that at least that's the assumption mm-hmm. we measured a high geomagnetic field there was nothing else about the property that could have done this but mm-hmm. consistently people were having um, there was divorce after divorce after divorce in fact in the 80s we had uh did an investigation. Um, they had bad dreams. They were on edge. The, the couple was getting divorced. They wanted to see if the place was haunted. We did measure high geomagnetic field. A couple years later, I got a call from a couple that says, look, we're having bad dreams in this house. And we, we've been on edge and just arguing and we're getting a divorce. We're selling the house. But we want to, before we sell it, we want to find out what's going on. And it turned out, go out to the house and it turned out to be the same house. And then a year later, <laughs> wow. a year later, I get another call from another couple that's getting divorced, and they say we live in Danville. And I said, I said, <laughs> do you don't happen to live at such
0: and such address an <laughs> to you? And they said, Well, how did you know? Are you psychic? And I said, No, wow. no, it's just like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, speaking speaking of psychic, because I I do have some mediums that I trust that uh-huh. have seen situations where it's kind of like history repeating itself, whether there's a geomagnetic influence or not they feel as though there are people in spirit that were dysfunctional or the history of the place that is still kind of is part of the energy of that place where people not necessarily dysfunctional can go there and devolve, you know, uh, decompensate, if you will, into this dysfunctional thing. Some mediums say there are situations where there are people in spirit that have a dysfunction. That is fed off the living people's dysfunction, which feeds back to. Well, the that, that's where we're talking about the <coughs>
1: spirit attachment again. That's the same kind of thing.
0: Interesting. Uh, and you know,
1: not everybody moves on to the whatever the other side is when they die. That's where we get what what. Actually, a lot of mediums will make a distinction between a ghost, which is somebody who has not passed over and a spirit who is someone who is from the other side, who's who's crossed over and projecting back and communicating that way. Mm -hmm. And some mediums are actually don't want to deal with any earthbound people because they're still disturbed. They're still, you know, there's their personality might have a problem. They may be a bully. They may be, you know, whatever they are. Uh, The one thing that's really interesting is that one of my colleagues a number of years ago went through a lot of the historical literature and reports and did not see like, Serial killers or murderers Hanging around after they died
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So they didn't find the really bad people Like gangsters don't stick around as ghosts mm-hmm. So um, That's a really interesting thing in itself it And it may, it may speak to the Psychology of what's going on as
0: well mm-hmm. Yeah I've, I've, In my mediumship days Came across uh, energies That did not feel worthy Of crossing of This earthbound it didn't yeah. make them bad, but in their own heart and mind, they weren't eligible for the light because they well, may have done something they were brought up very difficult right. and thought that they, you know, some were suicides. And because they suicided, they said, well, that's, you know, that it's impossible. I can't go into the light if I, I think right. in my own life. Or some situations similar to that where the earthbounds themselves are not, they're broken, you know, but they're not evil. They're, they're not, not malicious, a, right not and and
1: not always like that some 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 of the apparitions that we've dealt with in cases have related to the fact that they are afraid of what's next because you know th- they don't really know if there's a heaven or hell and why not right. why take
0: a chance why take a chance yeah they they are scared, yeah and and sometimes uh, they don't know they're dead yeah I, there are, there's
1: that there's that as well um, there's also the people who actually know that they're dead but they're in denial mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. are um yeah. They've been told that enough times, and there's all sorts of evidence in front of them, but they don't want to admit it. And then there are the people who just like to hang around because they want to either, they're either here, still here for their family or their family is focused on them so much when they're grief that they can't that move they, on. Yeah,
0: they can't let go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not, they don't see it as uh, some prison term or anything like that because right. it seems to be kind of a mutual uh, uh, non function. Well, and then
1: we have we have a place like the USS Hornet Aircraft Carrier Museum here in the Bay Area, which has over fifty, um, described fifty described sailors and officers, who, for all intents and purposes, what everybody has gotten from them is that they're there to make sure the ship stays uh, in existence because it mm-hmm. was originally slated to be sl- to be um, scrapped, yeah. and and they've kind of they're protective of their history mm-hmm. with the ship.
0: Yeah, I've seen some earthbound spirits on, in places where, you know, they felt that their staying there would help this place hold together. Because yep. when if they were a nurse at this place, they took their job so seriously, they don't really entrust it to whoever, uh, whatever living person has taken the role, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, there's uh, that too.
0: There, there's a range.
1: To, to me, when people say, you know, what's the reason somebody's sticking around? It's like, well, you know, they're human. Mm-hmm. So the re- the reasons are across the board yeah
0: it, de- it depends on the person it depends on the situation i mean every right. everybody's different so every situation is its own correct.
2: situation i
0: i, I want to ask you about some of your uh, teaching work at, at the the rhine center but first i i just have a, a personal curiosity about psychokinesis or telekinesis because mm-hmm. i'm particularly fascinated that you know me on my path to ascension there are people that say that uh, their abilities in, in that way have improved to the point where they feel as though they understand uh, atoms and particles to the point where they could eventually put their hand through a wall and not I'm, I'm not particularly buying into that. But it does mm-hmm. beg the question, because everybody is, is at least open to psychic ability or has the potential for psychic ability, everybody but when it comes to something like mind over matter telekinetic or psychokinetic ability in your opinion can we improve upon it if we focus on improving it <clears throat> well you you kind of hit on this whole thing
1: about being open to it and in our in most societies especially most western societies there is a a disbelief factor Um, and there was a psychologist named Kenneth Batcheldor who was involved in parapsychology research back in the 60s and 70s who pinned it down to two things. Uh, We are, when we see an extraordinary thing like an object moving, most people are going to like say, oh, that didn't happen. They're Mm -hmm. not, they're inhibited from even witnessing and acknowledging that they saw Mm -hmm. something amazing. The second step is ownership resistance. The idea it's our own consciousness, our own minds that's causing that thing to move is a scary thing for people. Because then they have to take responsibility for not just what they do, but also what they think.
0: What they think. Yeah, yeah but so, even so, if you look at that that's uh, the, that split uh, experiment with the, what, the photon…
1: There, well, that's it. That, the, the thing is, that it's easier to get someone to potentially influence a device um, that's measuring something that you can't see, what we call micro-PK, than it is to get them to move a bigger object. And because the bigger object hits our, our boggle threshold, we, we just no, no way. And I've worked with people who could move objects, but when you tell them, can you move this object instead of this one, it's like, no, I can't. It's too big. Or it's, it, there's friction involved, or there's something else that's preventing them from doing it. So it's a belief we system. Have, thing. It's absolutely a belief system. And frankly, <laughs> it's so similar to sports psychology and performance psychology in general. It's all about that. And there are ways to get past people, past that. We've done. We've taught people to do some PK in certain situations. My book, Mind Over Matter, actually, which was re-released in 2017, goes into all of that. Um, it also has a description of how to do PK. Um, that was a method that was that came came to Martin Caden who was a science and science fiction writer the guy who actually created the 6 million dollar man as it happens okay uh, right. and marty was able to move objects but even he had his own bible threshold that he couldn't do mm. uh, and we came up. He came up with a way to teach other people, but a lot of it has to do with getting them past this witness inhibition and ownership resistance. And the spoon bending parties that have come out of the 1970s, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I do those once in a while myself. That's right. Yes, yeah, you do with groups of people, and you can get people to bend stuff. And sometimes it bends on its own. I mean, it's really kind of cool. But you have to put people in a mindset where you know they're actually beyond. Even thinking about what's going on, they're just simply seeing it happen. They're watching it happen. They're like, dis- somewhat dissociated from it, but at the same time, they're having fun and giggling, and th- it's very, very silly. The well, sillier it, it is, the more it works.
0: Guess what? You you just talked my wife into buying me that Mind Over Matter book for Christmas. So you know, that's She, does, she doesn't know that yet, but you know. But, okay. Uh, hey, I thank you for that. Yeah, we've got about four minutes left, and I want to spend the remainder of that time. You know, letting people know where they can find books like Mind Over Matter. Sure, you've got some things about ESP and psychic espionage, which are fascinating. Um, you know, to and to you know, I I still got your your signed copy of Ghost Hunting uh, by Lloyd Auerbach. back here. But you've got a lot of books that are available, <laughs> yeah. And um, you're teaching, so
1: Yeah, So, uh, yeah, so most of my away. books, most of my books are available on Amazon.com. Uh, or barnesandnoble.com so bn.com, They're, and through most major booksellers. Uh, you may not find them in bookstores because bookstores often don't stock um, books that are older than three months. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, my books, just look me up by, by name. It's Lloyd Auerbeck with 1L. One 1L, one yep. Yeah. And the recent books include uh, Mind Over Matter, another book called Psychic Dreaming, and then a book called ESP Wars East and West, and I'm one of the authors, one of the four authors on that book, and that talks about the U.S. and Soviet psychic spying programs, not just the U.S. program, but also the Soviet one. And the main author on the book was the program director of our psychic spying program for 11 years, and the preface is written by... The former deputy director of the KGB. Wow. <laughs> no any, kidding. Yeah. So, is it's, there it's any really, tie
0: to that in remote viewing?
1: It's all about remote viewing. That's okay. what the book's about. It's about the remote viewing program that folks folks did. I arm. teach courses online through the Rhine Education Center, which is an arm of the Rhine Research Center. It is a, a research center and laboratory which is incredibly great to support. I uh, could always use the support. There's memberships that you can do. You go to rhine, R-H-I-N-E.org, and you'll see the link to education. You'll see a lot of great information. There's a few lectures that are available for free. Becoming a member gets you access to their um, to a huge video, video library of lecturers on the topic. And the, edu- the course I have actually coming up starting at the end of January is my investigations course. So oh, it's, no my field, it's my field investigations course. Awesome. And then in, in March, I'm doing a four-week class also on how to choose and assess a psychic. So wow. pretty much how to understand when you get a psychic reading, is this person a phony? How do you use that information? How do you assess that? And if you're an investigator, how do you find or how do you assess a good psychic for investigations?
0: Well, And you'd be the man to know, being president of the Forever Family Foundation, who finds the best spirit mediums in the world to help people process their deep grief. Lloyd, yeah. thank you so much. I hope you can come back soon. There are so many things I would love to ask you again. Now, of course, we'll see how your schedule goes on that. But, uh, Sounds you know, good. Boy, we'd sure love to have you back. Uh, the great Thanks, Lloyd Auerbach, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Chip Reichenthal. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Kindness Beyond the Veil. Uh, each and every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. on uh, LateNightInTheMidlands.com, and 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, UPRNTalkRadio.com, and the show plays all over the place, so go to our Facebook page to find out for times and archives. Uh, wherever you're listening, don't touch that dial. The best radio programming is up next. Please subscribe or donate to this network so shows like this can stay alive and continue to inform you and with a loving truth because we do love you beautiful and wonderful listeners beloveds uh, have a great night we'll see you next week here on kindness beyond the veil and uh, enjoy life especially coming the holidays you know make it good find joy take care
2: Whoa, oh, the poetry man. You make things alright. Oh, oh, talk to me some more. You know that you don't have to go. You're the poetry man. You make things alright.